Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We're starting a brand new series this morning, uh, looking through the book of Jude and talking about truth. But before I ask you to turn there, let me ask a question. How many people have ever had to confront someone that you know they were wrong and you were right, you had to call them on it? Don't raise your hand if they're next to you because that could you know, make for an uncomfortable car ride home. How many of you, now, here's the thing. How many of you had to confront, like, a family member when they were wrong just to say, hey, you were wrong, you need to go back and apologize? <laughs> Me and John. Okay. Now, here's a good one. Wives, girlfriends, how many of you had to confront your boyfriend, husband, significant other, and let them know when they were wrong? Well, that's why I didn't ask about husbands, because... <laughs> We, we don't do that. Now, here's the thing. Now, let, let, me, let me ask you this. If you've ever had to confront someone when they were wrong, there, there are two ways to do it, right? There is way A, which is you go to them and you point out, here's the logical things, and here's the reason you were wrong, and you explain, and you, you paint a clear picture and say, this is why you're wrong, and here's how we need to make things right. And there is way B, where you go to them not necessarily angry, but a passionate you mess this up royally? Do you know what you've done? Blah, 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 blah. Now, how many would agree that there is a time to do way A, logically, quietly, way out? But how many would agree there's a time for way B? You just got to go and passionately, okay, some of the wives, yeah. Uh, you've you've, you've, you've got to go and say, hey, you know what? You messed this up royally. It's urgent that you get it right that you make things smooth or that you understand how you messed up or the implications of it. And, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about as we go through the book of Jude because Jude is perceived as one of the most angry books in the Bible. I prefer to call it one of the most passionate books in the Bible. If you have a Bible, pull it out, turn to the book of Jude. Um, but I'm going to put all the verses up here. But if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to underline some stuff so you can write in your Bible and, and, and note some of the things that we're going to be talking about. Now, we're going to spend, this is, this is one chapter. I think it's like a total of 25 verses. But we're going to spend about three weeks kind of digging into it and talking about it and getting an understanding of why Jude had this passionate plea. All right? Now, I'm going to start in Jude chapter 1. Actually, Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. But Jude uh, verse 1, this is what it says. Jude, servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called or loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, um, I want to spend some time understanding who Jude is writing to because who he's writing to is going to give some understanding of why he has such a, what some would call angry, others would call passionate plea um, in his letter. Now, first he says he's writing to the people who are called, and this is those people who have been called by God to be recipients of his forgiveness, his mercy, and grace. Now, um, here's what Paul says in the book of Romans to understand the call, people that are called. He says, Paul says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according, according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So that definition of call, uh, the way Paul explains it is God sits outside of time. He's not bound by time. So if this wall was the beginning of time and somewhere in the future this wall was the end of time, God sits outside of it. He's not bound by it. And he can see all of time in his view. So he can see those people who say, I'm going to accept him, those people who say, I'm not going to accept him, those who did accept him in the past, those who didn't. It's all occurring right then to God. And what God does is he says, hey, I can see all those who are going to say, yes, I accept you. Those who say, yes, I'm going to accept you, he foreknew, even though there's no beforehand, but from our perspective, he knew beforehand that they were going to do it. He predestined those. Those who said, yes, I'm going to accept you, those are the ones who he predestined and said, hey, guess what? You're called, you're justified, and you're glorified. Now, for those people who say, well, how do I become one of the called? Accept Jesus Christ. And then you're one of those people that God called, justifies, and glorifies. There's, there's no, I know there's a lot of theology around it. There's whole schools of thought around it. And, and, and time doesn't allow us to go into a lot of detail. But in a summary form, that's what God does. He predestines those who he foreknew, those he knew who was going to accept him. And those are the ones who he called, he justified, and he glorified. So Jude is writing to those people who he called. But then he also says who are loved by God the Father. And then we would ask, well, who, who, who is loved by God? Well, in essence, how many people remember John 3.16? When's the last time someone read John 3.16? It might have been a while because we're so used to rehearsing it. So we're going to read it now. Um, even though in my mind it comes out in King James, uh, we're going to read it in the Amplified. It says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts and clings to or relies on him shall not perish or come to destruction or be lost but have eternal, everlasting life. So God puts out a call to everyone and those who are recipients of the call and say, hey, I want to I know God. I want to know this God that, you know, gave his son for me. Um, those people he loves so much. Now, it's not just those people he loved because the world, the word world is technically the cosmos is how it's interpreted. So pretty much everyone. What about the people who say, forget you, God, I want nothing to do with you? He still loves them. What about the people who say, well, I don't want to know the God of the Bible. I want to know the God of, you know, Marvel Comics. I want to, you know, Thor, go Ragnarok, all that stuff. Nobody laughed. Okay. Go see the movie. Civil War was excellent. Anyway, and Thor is coming out. All right, anyway, off on a movie tangent. So he, he loves those people too. What about the people that say God doesn't exist? There's no such thing as God. He still loves them. He loves those people as well. They won't fall into the category of those he predestined and called and glorified until they receive his love, but he still loves them. All right, so uh, Jude is writing to the people who were called. He's also writing to the people uh, who are loved by God the Father. And then he says this verse, and those kept by Jesus Christ. And this is kind of a little ding in his day at the people who were at that time walking away from the church. And I think... This was written somewhere around, I want to say, 50 to 80 A.D. They're not exactly sure when. Uh, but somewhere around that time, 60 to 80 A.D., uh, somewhere around that time, within 30 to 50 years of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
uh, Jude writes this letter. And at that time, there were a lot of people who were just saying, you know what? I don't need this church thing. I'm, I'm done with this church thing. Either there's too many rules, there's too many regulations, or they were thinking, hey, you know what? This is just a knockoff of some of the other uh, religions that were around at the time because other than the Jewish people, a lot of the other people that were coming to the church and coming to know Christ uh, were coming out of like Greek and some of them were coming out of, you know, uh, Greek or Roman where there was multiple gods and they were like, hey, I want to go back to that or go to something else. And he writes this, he says, those who are kept by Jesus Christ, literally uh, specifying those people who, the way I can phrase it, most theologians say is those people who were not that Jesus forced them to be in a relationship with him, but who had God's Holy Spirit in them. That's how Jesus kept them. That's how they stayed in a relationship with him because they had God's Holy Spirit in him. Now, this is what um, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about this, and we talked about this before. Paul says, furthermore, you who heard the message of the truth, the good news offering you deliverance, and put your trust in the Messiah, that's Jesus Christ, were sealed by him with the promised Ruach HaKodesh, who guarantees our inheritance until we come into possession of it, Thus bring him praise commensurate with his glory. Basically, this is what Paul is saying. Hey, you guys who committed your lives to Christ, who said, yeah, I want to know this God, he put his Holy Spirit in you. So there, there, there's a little pushback to people who say, well, you can never know whether God exists or not. Sure you can. Commit your life to him, and you get a promise seal. He puts his Holy Spirit in you. Now, here's the thing. Um, any woman who's ever been pregnant, all right? And, and guys, we cannot, we cannot imagine what this feels like today. Who knows what the future will hold? But uh, we don't know what it feels like to have another human being growing inside of us, right? I mean, we can imagine, we feel for you, we can bring you pickles and ice cream, but that's about it. We have no idea what it feels like to have a baby. And it, it, uh, for even for a woman who has, you know, lost the baby or for women who have, you know, um, had the baby be born early and it didn't go to a full nine months or even some that had to go to like 10 months or however long, uh, there's nothing that anyone can say to you to change the fact that you had another living being inside of you. I mean, no matter what they say, you're not going to be like, oh, you know what? You're right. I never really had a baby inside of me because there's too much physical evidence. You have the emotional evidence and, and there's even, even after you die, when they perform an autopsy, and don't get me, I'm not in the, you know, ask someone who's more medically experienced than me, but there is a way they can confirm, yes, this woman has never had a baby. Yes, this woman has. Because, because by when they do the autopsy, they can look at the body. So there's, there's evidence that there was another spirit or another person living in you. From a Christian standpoint, what Paul is saying, there's evidence of God because there's a spirit, there's something else inside of you. And the problem is people were, can't believe the phone is ringing, walking away and saying, you know what, I was never really a Christian uh, or I was a Christian, but I'm walking away. And Paul rebuted this and said, hey, no, if you walked away and you're denying that you had the spirit inside of you, you weren't really a Christ follower. And he wrote in his letter to um, part of his letter to the Romans, if I can get the clicker to work. There you go. He says, verse 8, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. 
You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. It's a spiritual DNA test. If someone comes up and says, hey, Floyd, you got 17 other kids all over the world, they can do a DNA test, and they can tell you, yep, these are yours. Guess what? These are not. Now, my kids happen to look just like me, so you don't even have to do any DNA test. You can just look at them and say, dude, those are yours. But the same way there's a spiritual DNA test God can do to say, yeah, you have my Holy Spirit. You're mine. You're sealed. And to other people, no, you don't have my spirit. But if you want it, all you have to do is respond to God's call. And so every believer receives the spirit. And what Jude is writing is, is he's contacting and he's saying, all of you who are a servant of Jesus, or all of you who have been called, all of you who are loved by God, and all of you who are kept by Jesus Christ. It's not two, three different categories. It's to one category of people, those who have been called, those who are loved by God, they've received the call, and those who have God's Holy Spirit, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And then he says this, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, that word contend is basically he's writing to them and saying, hey, you know what? I was going to write to you and say, hey, I want to encourage you in your Christian walk. I want to I talk about this glorious relationship we all have with God. But he says more important than that is I have to write to you to contend with a faith that was once and all entrusted to the saints. That word contend doesn't mean a lot to us. The Greek word brings up the thought of like the Olympics, which may or may not be in Brazil coming soon and all that stuff going on over there, but uh, the Olympics and the competition and the fight and the struggle to win. It would be, if we said this today, it would be, hey, uh, I felt I had to write to you and urge you to have an all-out mixed martial arts cage brawl for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He's basically telling them, you've got to fight for this faith. And it's not just this entrusted to the saints, because the picture he was trying to paint of what was entrusted to you, the very words of God. In other words, what God delivered to us through his word, that a lot of people say are just, you know, you know rules and regulations and if you're a parent, when you sit down and you try to raise your child, what they hear are what? Don't do this. Do that. Clean your room. Blah, 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 right? Parents saying yes, kids are going, yeah. But what you're trying to do is prepare your child for life. So you're trying to teach them how to clean. You're trying to teach them uh, how to do normal, societal, societable, societable, acceptable things in society. Does that make sense? You're trying to equip them so that when they go out in society, that they're ready to, to, to get a job, to work on their own, to be in school, to be among people and all that kind of things. And the same is true of God. God isn't trying to, uh, if we take out all the thou shalt nots that people complain about, you're left with God loves you. God cares about you. God gave his son for you. But yeah, there is also a lot of, you know what, and, and I love the way Jesus said it. If you boil all the thou shalt nots in the entire Bible down to, the, come down to two things. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we did nothing else but that, we would be fulfilling everything in this book. 
And that doesn't sound like don't, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That sounds like love God and love others to fulfill everything in this book. But he says that uh, he wants people to fight for the faith, for this word, and here's why. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. Now, this may seem like a lot of um, just, you know, he's just, you know, like people today, oh, I, I see posts all over Facebook and people saying the church is under attack and this, that, and the other, and that's just people being, you know, hysterical, there's nothing wrong. But Peter said the same thing. He said that there are going to come people who are going to slip into the church, they're going to teach false things, and what Jude is saying is they're godless men who are changing the grace of God into a license for immorality. And at that time, one of the prevailing thoughts outside of the church was, you know what? God gave us these bodies so we can do whatever we want with them to whoever we want as long as I'm okay with it. In other words, there's no absolute truth. What's true for me is true for me, what's true for you is true for you. And if my truth says I can do whatever I want to you, my truth trumps your truth. There's no absolute morality. There's no right or no wrong. Whatever is right for me is okay, even if it's not right for you, because your morality doesn't trump my morality. And it's kind of the same thing we're seeing today. And what Jude was saying is, hey, more important than the churches getting together and, and encouraging one another and praising one another is taking a stand for God's word. And it's not, again, not again to go out and beat everybody over the head and say everyone must become a Christian and everyone's got to do all these rules and thou shalt not and thou shalt not and thou shalt not. If the two things that we tell people are, you know what, love God because he loves you and love one another, that would be enough if we were telling. But what Jude is saying, we can't just tell people. We've got to fight to protect What's in God's word? Because there is, you know, a lot of people who say, hey, doesn't matter what church you go to, doesn't matter if you're this religion or that religion, it's all the same, which is not true. It would be like, it would be like, and I know pastors shouldn't say this, it would be like me saying to all you husbands out there, it doesn't matter whether it's my wife or your wife. As long as I sleep with a wife, it's all good. And I'm sure most of the husbands would not be happy with that. Because we're not the same husband. We're totally different people. So the same thing of saying, I'm getting bad looks from a couple of guys. But the same thing is true when you're saying, hey, you know what? This religion says this. It would be foul for me to say of a religion that says that there is no one God. There's multiple gods. It would be wrong and it would be disrespectful for me to say that that's the exact same thing as saying there's just one God. Because that would be disrespecting them. If they say there's multiple gods and you come along and say, no, there's only one and we're both the same, that would be disrespectful to them. It would be disrespectful to me, to, who believes there's only one God, to say, well, that's just the same as there's 20 gods, a god of the sea, the air, the moon, the rocks, the trees, whatever. So they, they can't all be the same. But what Jude is saying is, hey, you know what? And, and I get it. Today, there's a lot of political stuff going on. He wasn't talking about Trump or Hillary or Bernie. He was just saying that if we're Christ followers, then we have to protect God's word. We have to make sure that we're staying true to it. 
not so that we can regulate what people do inside the church or outside the church. Because again, those, the, the, all of that summarized in love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But we do have to protect God's word. Now, I want to show you this chart because today there are droves of people who are walking away from churches. Now, at the same time, there's a, still a lot of mega churches, but even the mega churches are losing. You know, they used to be 30,000, 40,000. Now they're down to 20,000. That doesn't feel as bad as when you used to be 60, 70, and then you're down to like 10 or 12. But I, I want to show you this chart because this is what's happening. I don't know if you can read this. Um, this is a chart that shows the number of people that have been w just over the years, the number, the way the church has declined. And it's not so much about religious behaviors or religious beliefs, but the number of people that pray daily, the number of people that attend services weekly, the number of people that believe in God uh, just decreasing, the number of people uh, that believe in heaven, the number of people that believe that scripture is the word of God, the number of people that believe in hell, all of these numbers are steadily declining. And I, 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 it used to be about a decade ago, when, when the decline was going on, you could ask people, why are people leaving the church? Number one answer, it was boring. People would say it was boring. I don't want to sit and, and, and listen to some guy read the Bible to me. I don't want to sing, you know, the power in the blood. How much more power could there be in that blood? It was just, they were just, this was boring. Within the last four or five years, if you ask people why are they leaving the church, the answer they give is because I don't believe I can find God. The one place that's supposed to be fighting to preserve the word of God and share the word of God, where people are supposed to come and find love, they're saying, I find bickering. I find too much politics about who's in charge of the church. Uh, I find too many cliques if you're not in that group or that group and that group. I find too much arguing, and I find everything but God there. That's the number one reason over the last couple of years that people have given for walking away from the church. And if anything, we know God is everywhere. But this should be the one place when we come to celebrate God, where people are able to say, well, yeah, I got to sing about him, and I got to hear about him. Maybe I got to spend some time in prayer and seek him. And people are walking away saying, that's not happening there. And this is the one place it's supposed to happen. Now, uh, as the band comes up, uh, let me close with these two quick things really quick. This is one of the reasons why um, we're doing this, this small group study on the Bible because there shouldn't be 20 different perspectives if we're all reading the same book. And I'm not talking about if you're reading the NIV and you're reading the ESV and you're reading the King James Version or, you know, the complete Jewish Bible, which I love. Uh, I'm just talking about we're all reading the same book. But then I walk away saying there's one God. Someone else walks away saying there's three God. Someone else walks away saying Jesus Christ wasn't God. Yet we're all reading the same book. And so throughout this, this small group is, is a discussion based on how to understand this Bible, not from my perspective, not from your perspective, but from the perspective of the people who wrote it. What were they trying to tell us? Not what does Floyd want you to think? What do the Lutherans want you to think? What do the Baptists want you to think? What do the Presbyterians want you to think? What do the Jehovah's Witnesses want you to think? What do the Mormons want you to think? It's the guy who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, Paul, what did he want the Ephesians to think? 
Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, what did he want the Jewish people to think? What was he trying to get across? And lastly, let me share this verse, because this is what it's all about. Paul, not Paul, Nehemiah uh, wrote this in Nehemiah 4. He said, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And this is at a time after the, the nation of Israel had been destroyed, taken into captivity. They were sent back, and Nehemiah wanted to reestablish, for all intents and purposes, a place of worship. He wanted the walls built. He wanted the people to come back together, and there to be a place where God's presence was felt. And everyone around him fought against him to prevent it. He said, we don't want the walls to go up. We don't want your church there. We don't want your God there. And Nehemiah said, hey, I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the officials, and the people, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And that's what we're doing when we, when we protect God's word, when we share God's love, when we make sure that a message isn't going out that, that's not what's in God's word or, or make sure that we're not trying to beat people over the head with the Bible, but for our brothers, our sons, our daughters, our wives, and our homes, we want the truth of God's word to go out. That there's a God who loves us, that he gave his life for us, and he promises to never leave us and to never forsake us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we thank you so much for the love that you give to us. And we pray that we can clearly understand the message that Jude was getting across of the importance of preserving your word, of ensuring that we're correctly communicating your desire to love people, to know people, not to have them join a cult, not to have them uh, follow a set of rules, but to have them understand that there is a God who desperately desperately wants to spend eternity with them. So much so that he gave his life for them. God, we pray that as we continue to just lift you up in song, that you would just speak to our hearts. Not about what we should do outside of these walls, but about what we're doing right now. That you would allow us to experience you maybe in a way we've never done before. Maybe some of us just need to be reassured that, there, that you are with us, that you will never forsake us. Maybe some of us need to be reassured that you definitely do love us. Maybe some of us are going through rough times and we just need to know, God, are you here? Do you hear the cry of my heart? God, I pray, I pray that you do not let a single one of us leave this room without hearing from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.